Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Cowie on Treaty 7 lands and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Today, I'm here speaking with Mohintz's author, Mark Herman Lynch. He is here to talk about his debut work of fiction, Arborescent. He is first-generation French-Chinese immigrant with a MA from the University of Calgary and is the president of Filling Station Magazine. Uh, welcome, Mark. Um, listeners will be hearing this in the future. It will be January 2021. Can you tell me how your 2020 has gone for you? Wow, 2020 has been, uh, I was able to keep my job and I was able to work and also a lot of what I like to do, such as writing and reading and painting, all can be done from home. So I am very, very lucky that my artistic practice actually works or meshes somewhat slightly with COVID, even though I do need people around me. I, I find, for example, it's as long as I have my artistic practice, then I'm usually, um, other than that, I mean, it's been a roller coaster in terms of I got published uh, with Arsenal Pulp Press. Uh, that was at the beginning of January, uh, the manuscript uh, Arborescent, and it just came out in October. Uh, additionally, I just started my PhD in September, which I'm so excited for. I'm working with amazing uh, writers, and it's been everything on, under the sun. All right. And so let's talk about the book Arborescent. What is the book about? Arborescent is a book about uh, three individuals all in the same uh, apartment complex called Cambrian Court. And uh, what ends up happening is that the characters slowly start to um, experience strange psychic unfurling uh, within, the, within the space. Uh, so strange things start to happen to each of the individuals um, as a consequence of, of, let's say, larger spiritual machinations, of which I won't give away, but uh, are in the book. So essentially, it's a story about, like, on its surface level, it's absurdist, um, an absurdist, surrealist type story. Uh, however, it is very much about grief and isolation and uh, and feelings of segregation. So that's that's a, probably the best I can do in terms of a summation of the novel. And so, when did you start writing it? I started writing this novel maybe five, six years ago, uh, maybe even seven years ago. So I just had some ideas. So I, I write in a very strange, almost circular process where I just create random little scenes and sometimes they co they're, they're cohesive and sometimes they don't. Uh, so maybe like seven years ago, I, I, I started really working on the novel uh, in a creative fiction class, a creative writing class at the University of Calgary, uh, which was spearheaded by Aretha Van who are also, uh, I think even uh, Amy LeBlanc was in that class as well. So I met all these wonderful writers, and uh, that's actually been the, that was the inception of the, of the book. But seven years ago, probably, uh, I really started focusing on the novel as a novel, because before it was just in little parts um, or pieces. It, it was a culmination of lots of little details about characters and uh, scenes that kind of culminated around Calgary. Uh, and I... Continue, I, I really started working on it uh, five years ago uh, 
where its creative inception was essentially within a creative writing class uh, spearheaded by Aretha Van Herc at the University of Calgary, uh, where I met quite a few different authors who helped my writing practice, including Richard Kelly Kamek, uh, Joshua Whitehead, uh, Michaela uh, and Amy LeBlanc. So that was the inception of the piece, really, five years ago. Okay. And um, you uh, talk about um, uh, being a painter. And so how has, uh, how do you incorporate visual imagery into your uh, book? Oh, well, I, I think of painting as the, of not writing. <laughs> so it, it, what, what I mean by that is I don't have as many, I don't have any, as many value judgments. I don't know enough about painting to really myself and be harsh on myself. So the process of painting, probably is, is more along the lines of a, a spiritual hobby, right? Um, it just allows me to release some tension so that I can go back into what I would say is my vocation, which is writing. However, I guess like painting has somewhat um, infused my pieces. The fact that you can't help but recognize that when you paint, you start seeing how, how you start seeing gradients of color, right? seeing that nothing is just one color. There's no such thing as like white, right? Uh, even if we think about skin tone, there's no such thing as a white person. It's, it's a, every color from uh, blue to red to green. And all of that is within the kind of like the visage. So in those kind of cases, like I, I definitely do try to think about the myriad amounts of space. Um, I think maybe that's how painting could have helped. <laughs> okay. And uh, you mentioned a few other authors uh, who you have uh, uh, with you have uh, been able to uh, work with. And so on the back of the book, um, you mentioned uh, Joshua Whitehead, who blurbs it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Suzette Mayer, who is my uh, master's, Robert Mazels, who I learned how to write from Robert Mazels, Aretha Van Herc. Um, yeah, and, and of course, my cohort many of whom are going off and doing really wonderful uh, uh, creations. And uh, you also, uh, do you, uh, are there certain places you enjoy writing more than others? Sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, are there certain places you enjoy writing more than others? Um, you mentioned the Kensington Pub. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah. That's um, that's really, really thoughtful. I almost forgot. So yes, I do like to write everywhere I can. So uh, cafes are wonderful. I, I really enjoy writing at Higher Ground Home in Kensington, um, and Kensington and Sunnyside, respectively. Uh, additionally, I love writing at uh, the Kensington Pub. I used to write there every second Sunday for years. And what we would do as we could to kind of fill the booths of Kensington Pub and just sit there and write and then have a drink. And it was just such a wonderful way I, I've completely forgotten about that because of COVID, because since COVID, I have not been able to write uh, outside my house, which is, now that I think about it, a, a real um, a real shame, because <laughs> a lot of creative energy comes from community. Absolutely. I guess uh, we can talk more about the characters. Um, so there's uh, Nolan Buckles, uh, Hachiko Yoshimoto, and Zadie Chan. So um, um, are, are there uh, certain people from real life that you draw characteristics for those characters? 
Interesting. Yeah, I think, for example, all three of those are an amalgamation of a lot of people I know, uh, have known, um, are close to me, or are even just barely acquaintances. Well, Nolan Buckles is, I, I, obviously, I think the characters, um, each character is a little part of the author. Like you, you infuse the, the character yourself in a sort of method acting kind of uh, way. You recognize that this part of your neuroses fits nicely with that character, or this part of your kind of daily habits or routines fits other character. And so what you do is you kind of take people that you know, and then you splice apart, splice them apart to their little idiosyncrasies, and then you recombine the idiosyncrasies to create a character, which is a very uh, time-consuming process of writing somebody, but that's kind of how I write it. I think the, the person who's closest to me probably would be Zadie Chan, which you'd think that that would not be the case because uh, she's a 14, 15-year-old girl, um, uh, and I'm not. <laughs> But uh, I think actually probably she's closest in terms of my neuroses, in terms of my um, my concerns, my feelings of embarrassment, my feelings of shame. So probably she's... All right. And I guess, uh, um, I guess uh, this is, will be in January and Chinese New Year is starts in February. So it'll be the year after us. So anything you're looking forward in the new year? Oh, yes. I am looking to COVID being over. <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, being able to see my friends again and maybe like uh, come together as a community. Has been a, or not Zoom specifically, but any of these types of online platforms have been great in how we kind of can create a modicum of community. Uh, but at the same time, it's, there's nothing, there's no comparison between this and face-to-face -face interaction, uh, I don't know the whole, um, I don't know the actual mythology around the year of the ox, other than the ox was second, I believe. Is that yeah, correct? Just, so the <laughs> the rat is the first. So this past year uh, would be the first of the twelve-year cycle in the zodiac. That's all I yeah. I know as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just look forward to getting. The rat is first because I'm I'm born in the year of the rat. And so, I guess um, any uh, writing projects you'd like to talk about that you're working on next? Uh, so I'm writing on a, working on a few projects. The first project is a young adult novel that friend of mine. Uh, we're co-writing it, uh, and essentially, I mean, this project has been in works for maybe a year and a half, two years. And we're still just kind of trying to figure it out. I I thought that it would be much easier than it is. It is very hard, <laughs> but hard in a good way. It's hard in a way that is challenging and uh, I never thought it would be. So it's been a very fruitful endeavor. I don't know if I know enough about the the novel right now to be able to give you a synopsis, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's coming and it's actually quite interesting. Um, but that's very big. My second project that I've been working on. Uh, Actually, similarly, with Amitha Van Herc, uh, since September, is a creative uh, that goes through as everything from looking at the history of marbles, like the game marbles, uh, to the history of um, Chinese cinema, to... <laughs> so it, it's, it's quite a hodgepodge right now. It's, it's very much in the works, but probably that's the most promising project that I have.
Yeah, and Chinese New Year is when typically when new uh, Chinese films are um, um, are put out. And so, are there any ones uh, you um, enjoyed over the years? That I've enjoyed over the years. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of I, I really a, a, a sort of samurai, not a samurai, but a, a sort of a action film, a Chinese action film. But also, I just watched The Wandering Earth recently, um, which is a movie about uh, uh, essentially the Earth itself meets, or what they do is they equip the thrusters so that they can move it out as outside of the solar system. It's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting movie about that turns turns humanity into this nomadic immigrant population, which is it's fascinating, fascinating. Very badly made movie, but <laughs> but really fascinating. All right, I guess uh, that's it for today. Uh, thank you for joining me on through Zoom uh, for this interview. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, and thank you for having me. This has been really wonderful. That was my interview with Mohinsen's author Mark Herman Lynch. He talked about his new novel *Aborescent* out through Arsenal Pulp Press. He talked about how he wrote the novel and creating the characters for it. Next is a song performed by Vivian Chow. It is called Fa Yu Yun Wan in Cantonese and is from a compilation CD of old canto pop hits. Sort 
That was Vivian Chow with Fa Yu Yun Wan. The song is from the 1990s TV show Justice Bao, a character based on a legendary judge from historical times in China. The show was broadcasted on Hong Kong television. Next on the show is co-host Nathan Taylor. So for our next segment on ArtsLink for this January, we're speaking to Christy Harrell, who is the director of Lab Next at the University of Calgary Libraries and Cultural Resources. How are you doing this Christmas season? I'm doing well, thanks, Nathan. So I thought I would uh, get a hold of you folks over at the library to see, with all these changes and coming into a new year, um, what you can expect for how the uh, the library operations are going to work, and especially with this upcoming block week, if you could speak of some of the activities that are um, opportunities for students then. For sure. So um, our activities in the library have changed a lot since uh, the pandemic um, came, and I'm sure students, uh, faculty, and staff have have realized this, uh, you can't access our, our physical spaces in the same way as you used to. And we're providing most of our reference uh, services online through our chat service on our website. Um, but we are offering lots and lots of uh, virtual workshops. So during block week, which starts on January 4th, we will be offering a series of workshops that are sort of um, aimed at helping students, um, researchers and staff jumpstart their winter semester with uh, research skills. So we have uh, some workshops on data visualization. Uh, there's some workshops on learning how to code in the programming language Python. There's a workshop on how to produce podcasts at home using free software. Uh, and there's a, a number of other workshops around uh, managing research data and digital files and building and deploying surveys. So um, all of those workshops are available for registration on our website, uh, library.ucalgary.ca. They're all free of charge and open to the entire UCalgary community. We've offered many workshops in the Taylor Family Digital Library in the past about using our audiovisual edit suites. So um, People may know that we have four rooms in the TFDL that are really great for recording and editing audio and students have found those to be very useful for class projects and personal projects as well. But since no one can access those spaces right now, uh, we sort of changed the workshop slightly and are offering um, some tips and tricks for how to record audio at home with basic uh, equipment and free software. So workshops like that have been tweaked a little bit. Others are um, just pretty much the same type of workshop as we would traditionally offer in person, but we're offering them online, of course, because we can't gather together. And so uh, besides that, the whole contactless pickup is really big at the university. Can you give us a quick overview about what is and is not available just so our uh, students and staff know? For sure. So. Um, most of our um, physical items are available for contactless pickup. So this means that um, University of Calgary staff, faculty and students can go into our online catalog and find items that we hold physically uh, and request those for uh, pickup in the lobby of the Taylor Family Digital Library. So what we do, what our staff members do is 
go and pull those items off of the shelf, sign them out to you, and then place them in a bag on um, uh, tables in the TFDL lobby. And you just need to walk through the lobby, pick up your items, and uh, walk out the other door. So we've tried to make it as safe as possible. So uh, most of our physical items are available that way. Um, another big change for library access is that we have entered into an agreement with um, a provider of digital books and other materials called the Hathi Trust. And the Hathi Trust is a large organization um, that has many member libraries across North America. And so if an item is available um, digitally through Hathi Trust, and we also have a copy of that item in our, our physical collections, then we are legally able to provide digital access to the UCalgary community. Um, so we've done that in order to give a broad, a broader um, selection of community members access to our materials because we know that many students um, in particular are not located physically in Calgary. So by um, joining this Hathi Trust Agreement, it, it enables us to provide more access to more people than if we had just uh, given access to physical materials located in Calgary. Could you just uh, tell us a little bit more about that trust? Uh, like the Hathi, could you spell that? Yeah, it's spelled H A. T-H-I, and I believe it's uh, Hindi for elephant, uh, which probably uh, connotes the size of the collection. So the Hadi Trust um, actually was born out of the um, Google's book digitization project, um, which started a number of years ago now. Um, and when the copyright implications of that project became um, kind of overwhelming for Google, uh, a consortia of libraries sort of took over that project. So um, they're able to provide um, legal access to both uh, in copyright and out of copyright materials uh, through this Hathi Trust uh, agreement. That sounds very interesting. I, I would like to uh, investigate that a little bit myself, as well as the Criterion film collection. I'd like to get you to speak a little bit about that. For sure, yeah. So this is a new um, license for libraries and cultural resources. And we licensed um, Criterion On Demand to address uh, some of our streaming video needs for this year. Um, as you can imagine, students who view films as part of their academic programs have had a lot of challenges accessing media. Um, so we have this Criterion On Demand product available through the library website. Um, it's a digital delivery feature film platform uh, and provides easy access to many uh, feature films used in Canadian higher ed education. Um, so those records are all available through our catalog. Um, I think there's about 6,000 titles available and uh, there's lots of older films as well as newer ones. And I would say it's a range of sort of box office um, uh, smashes as well as more um, like artistic art house uh, indie films as well. 3D printing. Um, could you tell us about how that has changed and how that works these days? Yeah, so that's um, changed a little bit. We've always had a 3D print on demand service for a number of years now, but um, of course, uh, because of the restrictions with the pandemic, we're not able to invite students, faculty and staff into our makerspace to do do-it-yourself 3D printing any longer. So um, one of my colleagues who's our 3D printing expert has actually um, set up a, a mini makerspace in his basement <laughs> and is doing all of our 3D printing from home. So 
Um, what happens is that students, staff, and faculty can um, upload a 3D file to our website through a form and um, we'll communicate with you to make sure that the item that you're hoping for is the correct size um, and we'll let you know how much it's going to cost and once you approve that print um, we will print it for you issue you an invoice that you can pay online and then once it's been paid for the item will be taken to the tfdl for contactless pickup um, much the same as what I described for books. So we're using the same uh, system for 3D printing as before. Um, it's sort of a cost recovery uh, type of, of situation where we charge 25 cents a gram plus a $1 setup fee. So it's not that expensive. Um, and uh, we're happy to do 3D prints for research and education purposes or also for um, you know, utilitarian purposes as well. Well, thanks for all this information. I, um, I would like to ask you in closing uh, about the 3D printing, because that's really quite interesting. Um, of all the 3D printing that maybe you've seen or you've done yourself, can you tell me what have you found the most interesting or useful of everything that you've seen? Yeah, well, the things that I find really interesting is when students uh, use 3D printing to supplement their research and, and education. So. We've seen some really interesting uh, projects where students can 3D print equipment that they need um, to help them with their research. And it could be um, like a, a piece of lab equipment, like a slide viewer or uh, a little gizmo that helps make a piece of machinery work better. Um, and oftentimes students will say that if they purchase those things from you know, specialized distributors, it would cost quite a lot. And if they print it, um, do a 3D print, it's you know $5 or less. So that's a really nice thing to be able to offer to students. Um, we've also seen some really cool um, 3D printing of, of biological specimens. So for example, I've seen dinosaur bones get 3D printed, um, skeletons of fish, um, and lots of other interesting things out of our kind of archaeology and biology departments. So uh, many students will have 3D scans of um, various specimens, like um, CAT scans, for example, and uh, you can print out anything like brains, bones, <laughs> um, and that, that those things are really neat to see. 3D scanning is also available, eh? Yeah, well, our 3D scanner is still in the building. Um, what we've been using it for right now is uh, mostly internal projects. So we've been experimenting um, with my colleagues in the nickel galleries. Uh, we have quite a large ancient coin collection or numismatics collection uh, in libraries and cultural resources. And we've been uh, doing some experiments to see if we can digitize some of those old coins to create virtual exhibits because we can't uh, welcome people in to see physical objects. So um, we've been using the 3D scanner to see, um, to do some experiments with, with ancient coins. Um, but unfortunately, it's not available to um, the general community right now just because of pandemic restrictions. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Nathan. That was my conversation with Christy Harrell, Director of Lab Next at the University of Calgary Libraries and Cultural Resources. Now here's local legends, the Everyman.
The Everyman with 15 minutes. That's it for ArtsLink. We'll talk to you folks again in February.